Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. Welcome to A Bowl Full of Chips, where this week we again head west to get that Rocky Mountain high from the most pure and harmless intoxicant out there, college football. Bip and I are going to hike the Rockies in the Sierra Nevadas, virtually of course, to bring you our coverage of the Mountain West Football Conference. That's right, we continue our attention on the rising programs and the overlooked but underappreciated conferences of college football, hoping to put more of a spotlight on these group of five fighters. I am Slappy Chappy, your fountain of Mountain West knowledge, and with me as always is Ski Trip Bip. Bip, how are the slopes in your world? Nothing but black diamonds over here, Chappy. My my back my bracket was basically busted on Thursday, so my weekend's been pretty easy going. How about you, good sir? Uh, doing well, doing well. Tell me what uh, what was the biggest buster for you uh, uh, on Thursday? I uh, can't really pinpoint one because they were uh, a little too many. Most of my most of my um, final four teams uh, went unscathed uh, unscathed throughout the uh, the first couple of days, but uh, you name it, and uh, they got knocked out in regards to my uh, just about all of my four through sixteen seeds that I had picked. So sure. not, a, not a not a good day in the uh, the, the Bipster household as far as uh, March Madness is concerned. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm just happy for the UVA fans and for Coach uh, Bennett out there at Virginia because there was a point when they were losing in the first half again to a number 16 seed, and I thought, would they really have uh, reason to keep this guy or fire the guy? Because you could make arguments either way. If they had dropped two consecutive opening round games to a 16 seed at right. the University of Virginia, so good for him and good for them that they won and and, and they survived that one. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, and, and, you know, I'll be honest, I mainly because I, I didn't have many people approach me about it and, you know, really being more into college football than college basketball, I did not get into any brackets this year, but it's kind of nice because I think it can make you appreciate the upsets a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the in years past when I've really gotten into some brackets and I've put some coin down on it, it, it really gets at your your psyche and it kind of is, is – can be a depressing weekend if you if you don't do well financially. So right. um, so I'm I'm kind of grateful that I was just a spectator this year. But yeah. I wish you luck the rest of your way, my sir. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, we thank you guys for listening out there, and just want to remind you that the best way to make this podcast even better is to interact with us via Twitter or email. Let us know what you like, and maybe more importantly, what you would like to hear. You can find us on Twitter. I am at champion underscore lit, and I am at bfc bip. And if email is more your thing, if that's something that you still hold on to and feel that uh, you're not ready to go feet first into the Twitter pool, you can always email us at bowlfulofchips at gmail.com. So today we're going to get into the Mountain West Conference, really part two of our five-part series on the group of five fighters like we talked about in the intro. So we're going to start with a little history of the Mountain West Conference. This conference was established in 1999 with mainly former schools of the what was the Western Athletic Conference or the WAC. They had six of those eight original Mountain West Conference teams still exist today, being Air Force, Colorado State, New Mexico, San Diego State, UNLV, and Wyoming. Those teams are still here. Um, gone from and, the Mountain West are some of the – I'm sorry, Bip, go ahead. And, and can I say what a – 
And, and I'm sure this uh, slang term may not have even existed when the Western Athletic Conference was in existence. Uh, but what an unfortunate title for a team or for a conference for those teams in it, the WAC Conference. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, all the bad puns like the whack attack and things are wacky and <laughs> right. i mean that that we can we can thank the mountain west for helping do away with some of those bad terms of phrase but and, and i can only imagine the the stuffy uh suits that created that conference finding out that halfway through of my goodness did you realize that the word whack means <laughs> to be uh not a good thing <laughs> right exactly <laughs> or um you know, we, we, we could even get into some of the tournament or playoff scenarios where you have a couple teams from the WAC facing off against each other in a whack-off, if <laughs> a you whack will. A whack-off. <laughs> Always a well, good time for a whack-off. That's right. <laughs> well, getting back to serious business now. Yeah, um, yeah. Stuffy, stuffy suits back in the room. Um, <laughs> well, the, the Mountain West did help propel two current Power 5 programs, and that's Utah and TCU, who now play in the Pac-12 and the Big 12, respectively. And you could really point to this Mountain West Conference as an opportunity for these teams to showcase what they can do. And it was fun at, at the time when those two teams were going head-to-head every year. And it was, I think, College Game Day was on location in Utah and TCU a couple of times and um you know that was kind of that was kind of fun to see it was good for those two programs and guys like Kyle Whittingham and even Urban Meyer before him and then Gary Patterson obviously at TCU mm-hmm. can probably speak about the the benefits that the Mountain West brought them so TCU uh speaking of them they were added in 2005 and then left in 2012 so they were there for a good 7 seasons um, they lost Utah in 2011, but they did gain Boise State, and some might argue that that uh, is arguably maybe an upgrade from Utah. Now, obviously, this is not to downgrade the Utes in any way. Uh, certainly, they have done great things, but I think Boise State nationally has brought maybe more attention to the Mountain West than Utah ever did. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also the addition of Fresno State, Hawaii, Nevada in 2012, and then recently in 2013, San Jose State and Utah State, who are the most recent members and additions in Utah State, having some pretty uh, early success with their good season this year, which we'll get into. So Utah, TCU, Hawaii, and Boise State have all played in a BCS or a New Year's Six Bowl. Pretty pretty good considering that... Um, you know, 25% of your, your conference has been represented in, in, a, in a prime bowl situation. And the highlight was truly, I think, this year in 2018. This, in my opinion, from uh, limited resources, was the best Mountain West Conference season that there was in terms of from, you know, you had three teams legitimately flirting with a New Year's Six entry well into November, or at least starting into November, Bip. So mm-hmm. um, I don't, I don't remember the Mountain West really having any more than two at one point, and that was usually whittled down to one once you got into November because those powers, TCU and Utah, and even BYU at the time when they were um, pretty prominent, those teams had kind of knocked each other off into October. Yeah, and all three of those teams that flirted with uh, a New Year's Six uh, bowl game this year were really three teams that nobody across the country would would be looking forward to facing going into November December. Right. And and that's going to that's that's going to lead into our our discussion toward the end of our podcast today about kind of comparing the sure. American Athletic Conference and the Mountain West Conference who mm-hmm. who's going to be the better conference and and who would you take if you were to look at those top 4 from the Mountain West and the top 4 from the AAC, AAC which group of four would scare you more. So we'll get more into that later. Well, we're going to get into our news and notes section now, and we're going to focus it strictly on the Mountain West because, again, this conference kind of gets overlooked. Well, not kind of. They do get overlooked. And (laughs) we want to give some love and we want to let people across the country know what is happening out in mountain country. So, Bip, let's get us started with, uh, with your first piece of news. Well, Chappie, new LA Charger Stadium will reportedly be hosting a bowl game starting in 2020 to match a Mount West Conference team against a team from the Pac-12. And this is really good news considering the conference got bumped from the Las Vegas Bowl in New Raiders Stadium that year as the bowl wanted a better matchup. So um, it does make a little sense considering the Pac-12 was put up 30, uh, 31-13 record against the Mount West Conference in the last four years. And I think this is a good move, especially for the Mount West um, and and being able to play in new L.A. Charger Stadium should be uh, kind of cool for whichever team ends up 
um, getting uh, the selection for that bowl uh, in 2020. Yeah, and really, I mean, it's it's kind of win for both sides because you lose out on going to play in the new uh, Las Vegas Stadium in 2020. Uh, this is going to be 2019 will be the last year at Sam Boyd Stadium for the Run and Rebels and that Las Vegas Bowl. But in 2020, you not only have the new Raiders venue, but you've got that new LA Chargers Stadium. So at least they are going into some pretty nice new digs. Um, mm-hmm. They're not having to play. You know, they're not elevating, no offense, but the uh, Albuquerque Bowl up to the <laughs> top team in the, in the Mountain West. So, right. um, And also, conversely, you don't have to go out and play in frigid Boise, Idaho on a literally frozen blue turf. So um, that new LA, LA Charger Stadium is going to be a nice destination for the top team out of this Mountain West Conference. And I have to think that LA is a better bowl destination than, no offense uh, to the, the beautiful sta- um, city of Boise, but uh, I have to think right. that as far as a college uh, athlete, LA is a little more of a desirable location. Yeah, when when your swag bag consists, mo- consists mostly of potatoes, that's uh, not really your motivation for, for winning your conference and, and going yeah, to play that, in postseason. Is that swag bag made out of burlap for those, uh, for those players? <laughs> right. <laughs> now, if you were to turn those potatoes into vodka, maybe these college athletes might uh, might enjoy it a little bit more. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, some more news. A uh, couple good defensive coordinators out of the Mountain West, unfortunately for their programs, are leaving. One being... Former Boise State DC Andy Avalos, who has decided to go to Oregon, uh, replacing the departed Jim Levitt out there, and I think that that's a a very good move for both Avalos and also the Oregon Ducks. So Mario Cristobal getting things headed in, in a very good direction out there in Eugene, and bringing over somebody who's fairly familiar with the area, fairly familiar with uh, playing against Pac-12 opponents and playing against them pretty well. Avalos has been at Boise State for a good amount of time now. And, um, you know, that also, I think, I believe he was the defensive coordinator there when Chris Peterson was was the head man out in Boise. So that's okay. going to help the the Ducks to, to have a little bit of an inside leg on what the Huskies do and maybe some of the intricacies that uh, the current staff is not completely aware of yet. So, mm-hmm. Um, what they did out in Boise, though, is they promoted newly hired linebackers coach Jeff Schmetting. Uh, Schmetting was hired in late January and had spent the previous 15 seasons at Eastern Washington, which is a uh, an FCS power. Um, the last four, he was their defensive coordinator. Last season, the Eagles allowed a, a big sky best 16.8 points per game in conference play under the coordination of Schmetting, and they were number two in the nation in turnovers gained with 34. So you know he's going to bring an aggressive style defense and kind of still fitting in with the the type of defense they like to play out in Boise on that blue turf. Um, And also his his Eagles out at Eastern Washington led the nation in FCS with six defensive touchdowns. So uh, good things coming. You, You know, you don't like to lose a guy like Avalos and his experience and his track record, but bringing in Schmetting, um, I, I don't see too much of a drop-off for the Broncos out there. And and many are, are looking at Boise State as being a team that could be one of those busters this year and, and a team that if they get through Florida State in their first game, things look to be pretty manageable the rest of the way out. They could be flirting with an undefeated season and, and maybe a UCF-like flirtation with with the um the college football playoff ranking if if Mm -hmm. everything falls the right way for them so in a a similar light wyoming has also lost their defensive coordinator scotty hazelton to kansas state he's joining new coach chris kleeman out there in manhattan so hazelton has spent the last few years coordinating a pretty good defense at wyoming they've been known as one of the better ones in the conference and has done a great job for craig bowl out there so um Kleeman, not, no stranger to Bowl. He was one of his assistants out there at North Dakota State. When Bowl left for Laramie, Wyoming, Kleeman took over the job, uh, won multiple national championships, and now is over at Kansas State and bringing a pretty good D coordinator in Scotty Hazleton. So replacing him out in Wyoming will be their safeties coach, Jake Dickert, who was promoted to fill his shoes there. So, you know, you lose a couple of good defensive minds, but I think uh, any any good program like they have at Boise State and like we know that Craig Bull is establishing and is really getting his, his feet grounded at 
Wyoming, you've got this system of coaches, and it's really kind of like what Saban does down at Alabama. It's a process, and it's a um, it's a culture that they develop there. So you're not worried too much if you're hiring from within. But even in Boise State's case, when you're bringing over somebody from Eastern Washington who's not too far from the state of Idaho, and certainly no stranger to success, I think that things are still looking good in both those places. Yeah. Well, there's also some transfer portal action that has been going on within the Mountain West in really the last couple of months, ever since the beginning of January. So we're going to highlight some of the major additions to the Mountain West Conference, particularly players who have come from Power 5 programs. So starting out at Colorado State, they add Nate Craig Myers, who's a four-star wide receiver from the University of Auburn. They also bring... Oh, he pushed for uh, early in the recruiting process. He pushed for number one overall recruit and was the number one receiver before dropping throughout his senior year. I expected some good things from him at Auburn. So if he can find out what's going on, if they can tap into his potential at Colorado State, they could have a steal. Yeah, losing Preston Williams is not going to be as much of a blow if uh, Craig Myers can pick up where he left off. He's certainly a big target. I think mm-hmm. he stands 6'4", uh, right around 220 pounds or so. So that's going to be a good target for Colin Hill to throw to out mm-hmm. there in Fort Collins. They also get Jalen Bates, who is a three-star defensive end from Arizona State. So adding a little bit of help on that defensive line as well uh, for the Rams. So two pretty good pickups, if you ask me. Yep. Fresno State, next on the list, they had uh, defensive tackle Curtis Brown from Arizona, who was a three-star recruit and left the Wildcats to come out and play for Jeff Tedford and the the Fresno State Bulldogs, who are recently have been crowned as the Mountain West champs. Another one who's a pretty good pickup, I think, going down to San Diego State is former three-star running back from Nebraska, by the way, of junior college, and that's Greg Bell. Now, he was the starter at Nebraska to begin last season, and then for various reasons, I think that there was a little bit of dissension within the with, with him and with some of the coaching staff. Um, just didn't seem to fit in that well, and after, I think, the fourth game, he decided to leave Nebraska and put his name in the portal. So I think he's going to be a, a good fit at San Diego State. Rocky Long, yeah. he likes to run the ball. Um, you know, that's his MO, and I think he's getting a pretty good bruiser in, in Bell. And they've been able to pump out some pretty good running backs, so you wonder if he's going to fall in the same vein as uh, other uh, – Aztec running backs in the 2000s like Pumphrey, Penny, Hillman um, could have a potential good one there. Yeah, and I I think San Diego State is a better fit for the type of running back that Bell is as opposed to the fast-paced um, spread type run game that, that Frost likes to run out in Lincoln. Um, Jacob Capra is another guy that the Aztecs picked up. He was a three-star offensive guard from Oregon. So, you know, you would assume somebody who can have a chance to play and plug in on that offensive line and leading the way for guys like Bell. Um, Going to San Jose State, they picked up a three-star guard from Minnesota in Quinn Osland. Um, And then Utah State really, I think, got the best pickups for the Mountain West in this transfer portal. They got Riley Burt, who was from BYU, who had a pretty pretty good bowl game this past offseason. They got Sayosi Mariner, who was really the number three receiver for Utah. He was a three-star, but um, good route runner, good hands, uh, pretty good physical target for Jalen Love to throw to out in uh, in Logan. And then Caleb Rep, a three-star tight end, also from Utah. So getting a couple of guys from, uh, from the University of Utah coming over there to Logan, Utah, to play for a new head coach, Gary Anderson. I think that he's certainly got a pretty good cover to work with in his first year back in Logan. Yep. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, and then uh, we just had a couple guys who put themselves in the porter, Tyson Mayava from Boise State and then Gabriel Sewell from Nevada. Uh, both are linebackers and both are currently still in the portal, which means that they could also uh, pull themselves out and remain with their teams. But uh, two pretty good players who will, who will provide a good service for anybody who does happen to pick them up. Yeah, a couple solid tacklers um, that could, uh, you would assume, most likely stay within the Mount West Conference. So if they end up, uh, whichever team ends up getting one or or possibly both of these guys, um, end up with a couple really experienced uh, sound tacklers. 
Yep, very good. And and you know that's really getting to be what the Mountain West is starting to be known for is that defense. I mean, especially at the linebacker spot, there's a a good group of linebackers for almost all these teams coming back this 2019 season. So if any of these current Mountain West teams decide to pick up these guys, or if they decide to you know take their talents elsewhere within conference, I think that that's going to benefit uh, whoever whoever lands them. So. Before we get into our Mountain West coverage, I do want to give a quick Twitter shout out to MountainWestWire.com. They can be found at MWC Wire. Uh, they do a good job of covering the Mountain West, really, um, you know, strictly devoted to that conference and uh, kind of like a lot of these SBN network websites that each Power 5 team has. Uh, the Mountain West Wire is really your, your best news source for anything Mountain West football, basketball, most of their revenue sports, but they do a great job covering football. So shout out to those guys. Keep up the good work. So um, we know there's a lot of college football podcasts out there, and we thank you for taking time to listen to us. We ourselves have a few select podcasts on our list, but we have our go-tos that we knock out first, and we hope that a bowl full of chips is or becomes that podcast for you. We're not just two guys talking college football. We do a little more research than most, cover the entire realm, and give love to both the privileged programs, but also those programs that may go underappreciated, like those here in the Mountain West. We'll give you news, opinions, humor, and real life. We're energized by any and all commentary you like to engage in because we love this game, and we crave the conversation. So like those coaches out there, please join us. We want you on our program. We want you to commit to us, sign on the dotted line, give us your letter of intent by subscribing, sharing, liking, and even if you feel like it, reviewing us. So, Bip, let's get right into the Mountain West Conference. So let's start with the rundown of the standings in the Mountain Division. We start with the number 23 Boise State Broncos, who finished the year at 10-3, and 7-1 and one in the Mountain West Mountain Division. Just ahead of number 22, Utah State, who finished 11-2, 7-1 in conference. But unfortunately for the Aggies, that one loss came to the Boise State Broncos out in Boise. Wyoming was third in the Mountain Division, finishing 6-6, 4-4 and and in conference, but they missed a bowl game. As did the next three teams, Air Force, who was 5-7, just on the outside of uh, a, a 500 season and, and possibly going to a bowl. They were 3-5. Colorado State and New Mexico both finished at three and nine. Colorado State, though, was fifth in the mountain at a two and six record, and New Mexico was one and seven in conference. Switching over to the West, the Mountain West champion, Fresno State Bulldogs, who finished 18th in the country in the AP rankings in the final go-round. They were the highest-ranked Mountain West team, which makes sense because they were champs. They were 12-2, and 7-1 and one in conference. Nevada came in at second in the West at 8-5, and 5-3 five, five and three in conference. The Hawaii Warriors were 8-6, and six, also at 5-3 and three in conference. Followed by San Diego State finishing fourth at seven and six, four and four in conference. UNLV four and eight, two and six in conference. And then San Jose State, the Spartans were one and eleven, but at least that one win came in conference this year. They finished one and seven. And like we mentioned, Fresno State was nineteen sixteen overtime winners over Boise State in that Mountain West Conference Championship. So, Bip, those are the teams. Let's hear from you. Who was a pleasant surprise out in the mountains this year? Well, Chappie. Um, Utah State went six and seven in 2017. Nevada went three and nine with their only wins being against Hawaii, San Jose State, and UNLV. They also lost to Idaho State in 2017. But the team I'm going to go with are is uh, hails from the great state of Hawaii. Uh, now they went three and nine as well, uh, just like Nevada, with their only wins being against UMass. Western Carolina and San Jose State, they also lost against Nevada. Um, so when you consider how poor their 2017 was um, and take into consideration um, that the Warriors uh, improved to eight and six this year, um, it was kind of a shocker uh, how they started off their season as they went six and one to start off and with their only loss yeah. being by seven to Army, which we find out a season end was a, uh, a heck of a loss for for Hawaii, looking back, um, right. unfortunately for them, they lose their next four uh, against some pretty tough opponents in BYU, Nevada, Fresno State, and Utah State. Uh, but they finish up the regular season beating UNLV and San Diego State, um, and then also losing their bowl game against uh, Louisiana Tech. But defensively, 
they kind of remained towards the bottom of the country, just like in 2017, but the offense saw a real uptick in production this year. They finished 50th in points per game, 49th in yards per game, but 27th in passing efficiency and 9th in passing yards per game. They also tied for 26th in first downs. Cole McDonald burst onto the scene uh, as a sophomore with 3,875 passing yards, 36 touchdowns, and only 10 interceptions, uh, and completed 58.9% of his passes. He also showed some pretty good mobility as he added 359 yards and four touchdowns on the ground. John Ursua finished the year his favorite receiver and really flexed his abilities this year as he finished with over 13,000 yards, or I'm sorry, 1,300 yards. I was going to say, wow. (laughs) 16 touchdowns and 89 catches. The Warriors also had two other receivers, Cedric Bird and Jojo Ward, who each caught at least 50 passes and had over 850 yards while um, each catching nine touchdowns. So that passing attack was up and running this year and was very, very effective. Defensively, like I mentioned, not too much to speak about. Uh, however, Kaimani Padeo uh, shined as he finished with eight and a half sacks, 13 and a half tackles for loss. Um, they had their issues. They finished bottom uh, in the bottom fifth of the country in defense in yards per game and uh, points per game. And they were also 122nd uh, in rushing yards per game allowed. But um, all in all, this, this Hawaii team showed leaps and bounds uh, improvement from last year and was a team that I really didn't see a winning season, let alone uh, eight wins on the horizon this year for them. Yeah, and, and I was very close to pegging them as my pleasant surprise this year, and they were a pleasant surprise. Um, I, I liked how Nick Rolovich went back to kind of more of that run-and-shoot style offense that that they liked to run when he was playing under June Jones as, as a quarterback for the the Warriors. And I, I have to catch myself. I still sometimes want myself to call them the rainbows. Um, but, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's not, that's not what they want to be called. Right. right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So, but I'm going to have to go with Nevada as my pleasant surprise this year. And, um, my reasoning is, you know, again, very similar to Hawaii, but they were um, they were three and nine and three and five in the conference last year, finishing in fourth place. It was Jay Norvell's first year as coach, but then they rebounded this year to go eight and five, five and three in the conference, which put them second in the West. Now, granted, uh, the first place team was, I think, a, a full few steps ahead of them in Fresno State, but you got to appreciate what Nevada did this year. They did it with a good defense. They were number three in the conference in red zone defense. Um, number, uh, or I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Number three in the country in red zone defense. So, uh, okay. not just in oh. the conference now, granted that put them second in the conference behind Fresno state. Fresno state was first sure. in red zone defense. And sometimes right. those red, red zone numbers can be a little bit deceiving, but they also got after the quarterback. They were 27th in, nationally in sacks and 35 in yards per play allowed defensively. So this was a pretty good defensive unit that they had out there um, in Reno. Every loss that they had this year, their five losses came to a bowl team except UNLV. Now UNLV did finish uh, <laughs> with a, uh, you know, a four and eight, a five and seven record, but um, you know, they, they, that was a game that Nevada had, and they just played a really poor second half. So, I mean, you look at it, Nevada really, for all intents and purposes, should have been 9-4 and four this year and and won that Fremont Cannon. Now, um, they played Fresno and Boise State back-to-back, but pretty much held them, for the most part, in check. They didn't get blown out in either one. And I know that sounds like a defeatist attitude to say, well, we lost, but we didn't get blown out. Um, but when you look at where you know Nevada was last year and maybe the year before, that was kind of the calling card was, okay, well, we won four games, we won three games, but we didn't get blown out. Nobody killed us this year. So um, I think that that was a, a big step up for them. And uh, they were 4-2 and two in close games. And the reason I point that out is because I think it says a lot for a team. It shows their character, their maturity, and their will, their toughness when you can pull out those close games. There were certainly teams who didn't know how to hang on. They, they kind of wet the bed when they got a lead or when they had to hold on to a lead on a final drive. And, and like I said, this defense really did good things for the Wolfpack this year. And, um, you know, they get my nod for surprise, pleasant surprise this year. Yeah. I like that pick. They were, they were definitely a team that I didn't see coming um, in regards to their, their year end record as well. Um, so similarly yeah. um, to Hawaii, um, they were kind of neck and neck for me, um, but definitely a great job by both universities this year. 
Yeah, and I know that there might be Utah State fans saying, well, what about us? You know, we uh, we finished 6-7 and seven last year. We lost our bowl game to New Mexico friggin' State, for God's sake. But, um, <laughs> you know, th- I think that's another story and another topic. I think Utah State, by a lot of people, a lot of experts, were looking at the Aggies to have a much better season this year. So I think the accomplishments for both Hawaii and Nevada were a little bit more pleasantly surprising than Utah State. Utah State, it was kind of more like, all right, well, you've got Matt Wells. He's an established coach. coach. I think that um, it was a little bit more of an expectation for Utah State to finish uh, somewhere near the top like they did. Yeah, and and if you would ask me at the beginning of the year, what would you – what would surprise you more, Utah State winning 11 games or Nevada and Hawaii ending up the way that they did? I would definitely be more surprised by Hawaii and Nevada climbing out of the cellar. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. In fact, I think I picked Nevada to win three games this year, and I picked Hawaii to win two. So, and Hawaii mm-hmm. played thirteen games. So, uh, right. to pick them to go two and eleven is right. certainly a, a far cry from their eight and five finish. So, good job for, yep. the, for the Warriors. So, disappointment. I there were a few teams that I had to look closely at, but I'm going to give the final decision, unfortunately, to the San Diego State Aztecs. And the reason being is they were a team that was counted by many to challenge Fresno State for that West division and and possibly even win it. Um, they ended up finishing fourth behind Fresno, Nevada, and Hawaii. So really those, th- uh, you know, two of those teams that we talked about as pleasant surprises, San Diego State was not expected to finish below them. Their big problems were on offense this year. They just could not score. They were 120th in scoring offense this year. Uh, and they're never really known for being a team that will put up a lot of points, but they even struggled running the ball a little bit this year too. Uh, You know, looking at the numbers, the Aztecs finished 74th in rush offense, which is, I think pretty far down from where they're from where their Norman is. Normally they're a a 25, a top 25 rushing team. Um, Their offensive line caused some problems. They were 90th in the country in sacks allowed, and they just could not move the chains. They were 110th in third down conversions on offense. Defensively, they played pretty well, except for when it came to defending the red zone. They were 108th in preventing teams from scoring. So um, other than that, their defense was pretty good. They did beat Arizona State, which was... Um, you know, kind of a, uh, a surprise and upset at that time, especially with the Sun Devils coming off a, a, a victory over the Michigan State Spartans. Um, but, you know, they lost to number 13 Stanford. They won six straight, and then they traded a loss for a win um, and then lost their last three games plus their bowl game. So, you know, it was kind of a tale of two seasons for the Aztecs. They were looking pretty good. And then um, home losses to UNLV and Hawaii, and no disrespect to those teams, but when you're playing them in San Diego State, especially with Hawaii coming to the mainland, you're expected to kind of take that one, especially with uh, the Aztecs playing most of their games at night. I just I looked at that final record and then watching them in the bowl game against um, uh I'm blanking who they played, but uh, they just they just played flat and and um, oh, yeah. North, uh, Northern Illinois, I think they played. So they just uh, they didn't look good. It wasn't a rocky long team that we're used to seeing. Yeah, and and I was I was surprised by San Diego State as well um, in a negative light. But I, I went a different route and I, I chose the uh, University of Colorado State. And my reasoning for that is they went from a seven one team last year to a three and nine team team this year. Now, granted, they lost uh, Gallup and uh, Nick Stevens as well as um, Dawkins, their starting running back, who ran for almost fourteen hundred yards last year. Additionally, their losses this year included Colorado, Florida, Boise, Utah State, and improved Hawaii and Nevada teams. But they, um, or, or sorry, let me also mention that they lost to teams like Wyoming and Air Force while only beating New Mexico by um, uh, by two on a, on a time expiring field goal. But uh, when looking at their overall stats this year. They finished in the bottom 22 in offensive points per game, defensive points per game, and defensive yards per game. Um, some other stats that they had this year that that didn't uh, look too well for me. They finished 119th in turnover margin with a negative 10, 123rd in rushing offense, 118th in penalties per game, 118th in sack per, sacks per game. And they benched their quarterback eight games into the season, which is never good, and proceeded to lose all four games in which Colin Hill started. Uh, who who was their backup that came in? Their one yeah. lone uh, bright spot on the season was 
was Preston Williams as he was just uh, went off this year with 96 catches and uh, 1,345 yards, 14 touchdowns. Also had a couple good linebackers and Josh Watson and Trey Thomas who who both finished with over 100 tackles. But I just I expected more from Colorado State this year. Didn't really expect yeah. them to take uh, as big a, a dive as what they did compared to last year. Like I mentioned, their losses were were mo- for the most part pretty good. Um, but I expected them to be a little more competitive than what their year end stats ended up showing. Um, and, uh, while they finished 60th, 60th in the country offensively in yards per game, they only finished 108th in points per game and and a team that can't close the book and score, um, after putting up a decent amount of yards, um, is, is never looked too positively in my, in my opinion. So had to give the Rams that, uh, that, undesirable distinction of my disappointment for the year in the Mount West conference. Yeah. And you could say that there was probably things didn't get off on the right foot when Mike Bobo, their head coach was uh, sidelined with some, some health issues just about a week before their opener against Hawaii and was having to, um, you know, be out of his comfort level. So, you know, you could, you could say that that was a contributing factor, but um, I mean, you look at, uh, their three wins, two of them came by two points and then seven points. So they beat Arkansas, which was a uh, really kind of a head scratcher there, considering that they didn't look good against right. Hawaii or, or Colorado, and then they go and beat an SEC team. Um, but they lost to an FCS team at home in Illinois State. Right. Um, they beat San Jose State by 12 uh, on the road, but then they only beat New Mexico, who was not very good this year, by two points. But they lost their three major uh, rivalry games. They lost the Rocky Mountain Showdown to Colorado. They lost the Border War and the Bronze Boot to Wyoming, and then they lost the Ram Falcon Trophy in the finale against Air Force on Thanksgiving uh, on Thanksgiving weekend. So, yeah, a disappointing season for the Rams, no doubt. Um, well, Bip, you kind of tipped our tipped my hand a little bit here when we get into most outstanding players offensively. I'm going to have to go by far with Preston Williams for Colorado State. And maybe not mm-hmm. by far because there were certainly some sure. some good offensive players. But uh, like you mentioned, he was number one in the conference with 96 catches, number one in 112 yards receiving per game. He was second with 14 touchdowns. He averaged 14 yards per reception, eight receptions per game. And I think that this is outstanding to me because he was on a team that was not loaded with offensive stars. Um, I think their leading rusher, Cam Matthews, uh, didn't even break the 500-yard mark. Right. Um, you know, like you mentioned, they had issues at quarterback with Carter Samuels and then Colin Hill. Uh, he, when you watch the games and you watch the film, he kind of just took over and dominated at that wide receiver spot. So you throw the ball to number 11 and good things are going to happen. Now it wasn't a complete surprise because he was a transfer from the university of Tennessee, a pretty highly sought after recruit. Um, and he brought good size and good athleticism out to Fort Collins. But like I said, to me, for, for being as good as he was on a team that struggled as much as the Rams did, he was my most outstanding player. Um, and certainly, uh, honorable mention to Jordan Love and Darwin Thompson from Utah State. And some people might be saying, well, how could you leave off some of these guys from the Mountain West and the NCAAs, one of their top offensive teams? But like I said, just to me, the seeing the way that he dominated when really nobody else on his offense could, that's what makes Williams so outstanding to me. Yeah, it really came down to, I also went with Preston Williams. To me, it really came down to him and John Ursua from from Hawaii. The reason why I went with Williams, uh, like you mentioned, at 6'4", 210, he really creates matchup problems, especially in a conference like the Mountain West. Um, yeah. He outdueled Ursua head-to-head with 188 yards and two touchdowns in the in the uh, matchup between Hawaii and Colorado State. Um, Ursua had each of his 100-yard games uh, or multi-touchdown games against Hawaii's worst opponents. Um, he, he had one against Army, which obviously was a good opponent, but did most of his damage against uh, Colorado State, Navy, Rice, San Jose State, Nevada, and UNLV. Whereas Williams, on the other hand, um, had 100-yard games against Arkansas, Florida, and Boise, and um, as well as Wyoming, Hawaii, and Air Force. And in the game against Air Force, he absolutely dominated with 12 catches, 248 yards, and three touchdowns. So that's why I gave him the nod as well, Jappy. Yeah, no, and uh, again, we're we're on a roll with uh, thinking right. like <laughs> with these offensive or with these outstanding players, Bip. So. Exactly. 
What about defensively? Who was your who was your stopper that was outstanding, uh, relatively speaking? I went with uh, Malik Reed, um, defensive end linebacker from from Nevada. Now he finished the year with seventy seven total tackles, eight sacks, fifteen and a half tackles for loss. Also had four forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, and turned one of those into a touchdown. So um, from that most one of the most improved teams in the country, Nevada, he was one of the real shot in the arms on defense. Allowed them to be as uh, as good as they were defensively. Um, so he got my nod uh, this year for uh, the Mount West Conference on defense. Chappie, how about you? Uh, well, I did go with a Utah State Aggie here, and that was their linebacker, David Woodward. So uh, Utah State had really the second-best defense in the conference, and a big part of it was because of Woodward's play. Now, he finished number one in the conference with 134 total tackles. He was number two in sacks with five of them. Number nine in tw- uh, tackles for loss, he had 12 and a half. He also had two interceptions, three passes defended, and forced two fumbles. Um, and if you look at Utah State's defensive numbers, they were in the top uh, 35 in scoring defense, defensive yards per play, and rush defense, which if you're going to finish in the top 35 in those defensive statistics, your team's going to do pretty well. Mm-hmm. And we, we already hit on that. They finished 11-2. and two. They were one of the, uh, the best teams not only in the conference, but really one of the top 25 teams in the country. They finished number 22 on the season. So right. he gets my pick for most outstanding because, again, they really didn't have um, a lot of top flight talent on that defense, but a lot of athletes. And I think that they use kind of that recipe of speed and being able to get to the ball quickly and, and using athletes. So Woodward looked more like a strong safety, but you know, he's got the build of a linebacker and obviously played that linebacker spot and played it well. So he's my pick for most outstanding defensively. Um, honorable mention to me was Kayava Tazino from San Diego state. And then also Juju Hughes from Fresno state, who was on that top defense for the Bulldogs. Both mm-hmm. those guys had numbers that were worthy of consideration, but I think it, it to me, it, it was Woodward that was most outstanding. I like it. I like it. So then there's also guys who were off the radar a little bit, guys who uh, did not get the spotlight. They were not. And, and when Bip and I pick these guys, typically they are not on the first team, second team, and in some cases, not even honorable mention within their own conference accolades at the end of the season. So BIP offensively, I'm going to go back to Utah State and their backup running back, Gerald Bright. Now, he did not make honorable mention, and it's probably because there were some pretty good running backs with Alexander Madison, Darwin Thompson, um, and and a a few other guys that were spread around the, the Mountain West. But, you know, here's a guy who finished number seven in the conference with 888 rush yards, number three in yards per carry at 6.3. He had the fourth most rushing touchdowns in the Mountain West. He averaged 68 yards per game on the ground. He also added 22 catches for 10.5 yards per reception, three touchdowns. He had four 100-yard games, and five games he averaged seven-plus yards per carry. So those are some pretty good numbers considering that you're the number two back and the, the back in front of you was so good that uh, it was wise of him to skip his senior season and jump to the NFL, and that was Darwin Thompson. So Gerald Bright, number eight for the, uh, the for the Aggies, was my guy I went with. Yeah, and it's always nice to have that luxury of your number two guy being so dynamic and so productive. Um, he'll, he'll definitely be um, someone to look out for in 2019 now that he's got the backfield all by himself. Well, and like we mentioned, uh, he's also going to be joined back there by Riley Burt. But, you know, if I'm right. Gary Anderson, I'm I'm saying, OK, Bright's my number one. And, you know, unless Burt has a, a killer spring and a, and a killer fall to to upseat Bright, then, you know, either way, it's win win for the Aggies because you've got two mm-hmm. guys back there who who are going to be able to light it up. So who, who did you go with offensively, Bip? Who's outside well, of the, the limelight? Not only was he off the radar for um, going into the season, he was also kind of off the radar for for Hawaii. Uh, I'm going to go with Jojo Ward, wide receiver, a junior college transfer who uh, or junior college transfer this year who was actually a walk on. And I I was trying to do some digging. I didn't see if he earned a scholarship this year or not. I couldn't find anything saying that he did during the season, but I'd have to assume that his stellar play this year earned him one for 2019. Playing under the shadow of John Ursua, John or Jojo Ward outproduced many uh, Mount West Conference number one receivers this year as their number three. He had 865 yards while averaging 17 yards per catch. 
caught nine touchdown uh, passes and had three games in which he uh, went for over 100 yards and three uh, additional games in which he went for 75 yards. So um, at 5'9", he's kind of a, a, a small guy, but he's fast, he's quick, and he can change the tone of a game with, with just one touch of the ball. So I went with mm-hmm. JoJo Ward, um, one of those guys that really vaulted that uh, Hawaii passing game towards the top of the country. Yeah, and and you know you mentioned walk on. I I wish that there was a more clear cut distinction because you hear a lot more now about guys who are quote unquote walk ons, but that could mean that they were a preferred walk on, but we you know we don't hear about that. Right. Or it could be you know in the case of guys who maybe are under you know they're playing baseball or they're on scholarship on the track team like Santana yeah. Moss at uh, Miami back in the right. 90s they kept saying he's a walk-on he's a walk-on and you're like well wait a minute he got a track scholarship and clearly this guy <laughs> would have gotten a football scholarship but they didn't need to so right um you know I always like hearing more about those true walk-on stories where basically you are knocking on the door dropping off the film of your high school tape and they're looking at you like who the hell is this guy who let this guy in <laughs> and uh, then they end up being in a great story you know um yeah. obviously being a Northwestern writer i i think of austin carr a couple years ago for northwestern who literally uh put his name out there to coach pat fitzgerald and uh was almost basically dropped from recognition when he uh said he couldn't go to practice one day because he uh hurt his hand playing the piano (laughs) fitz was like uh okay this is the type of walk-ons we're getting here but then he went on to to lead the big 10 in receptions in in 2016 and i digress so (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um what about defensively Defensively, I went uh, to the Fresno State Bulldogs. I went with Jerron Bryant, uh, cornerback. Now, a lot of attention in the Fresno State secondary went to Tank Kelly, and rightfully so. But Bryant had a great year in his own right as he finished the season with 50 tackles, 40 of them or 43 of them being solo. He also had 12 passes defended to go along with one interception, one forced fumble, and two tackles for loss. So um, that great Fresno State secondary. Uh, a lot of attention um, was, was missed going towards Jerron Bryant, but uh, I think it, it he should have had a little more going his way. So he picked up my uh, under the radar guy for the for the defensive side, Chappie. Yeah, that's a good pick. Um, I'm going to stay in the state of California and go with Jesse Ozuna from San Jose State. He was an outside linebacker. Now he didn't receive any honors. Um, there were four other of his teammates that did make all Mountain West and not so sure that uh, they necessarily had uh, leaps and bounds better statistics than this guy, but he finished 13th in the conference with 93 tackles. Um, He was 14th with 10 tackles for loss, but he led his team with four quarterback hurries, three fumble recoveries. He was second on the team with two interceptions. He had a forced fumble and he was third with um, two sacks. So again, not necessarily statistics that are going to light things up, but to not even get honorable mention um, as, as somebody who, you know, played well in the Mountain West Conference. I just think that he was somebody number 11 coming off the edge for, for San Jose State. Again, kind of your hybrid outside linebacker, strong safety type. Um, and he's he'll be coming back next year for for the Spartans. So good things out there. But uh, yeah, he was my nod for off the radar defensively. Nice, nice. Well, that so takes us we, uh, to our, our, our coach of the year picks. Um, yep. Mine was, was a little difficult as it came down to um, Utah State versus Fresno State. So Matt Wells versus Jeff Tedford. And I really had a, a really difficult time choosing number one here. Um, and, and both teams were really very similar. So I broke it down and did a real analytical um, breakdown of both teams. And what I came out with was was Fresno State and Jeff Tedford narrowly edged out um, Matt Wells at, at Utah State. And the reason why I go with that is, here are some of the states, uh, some of the stats in which both teams um, did an outstanding job, but Fresno State um, narrowly edged out um, Utah State. Fresno State finished the year 18th in net punting. They finished first in red zone defense, which you mentioned uh, earlier. They finished 20th in red zone offense. They were also fifth in the country in tackles for loss, average allowed, and eighth in uh, passing efficiency, fifth in passing passing efficiency defense. They were additionally 25th in third down conversion rate, 22nd in defensive third down conversion rate, ninth in the country with a turnover margin of plus 12, and they had quality wins against Toledo, Nevada, Hawaii, San Diego State, and Boise State. And when you compare that with what Utah State had this year, 
they had quality wins of BYU and Hawaii mainly. And it really boiled down to the schedule for me. I think that Fresno State had a little tougher of opponents when you consider who Utah State played in comparison. Now, the the losses of both teams were taken into effect as well. Utah State had quality losses against Michigan State by only seven and Boise State, both of those games being road games. Um, Fresno had a loss against Minnesota at Minnesota by only seven and then a loss against Boise State in which uh, it was at Boise and um, it was a loss by seven points in which Fresno Fresno was up as late as 930 left to go in the fourth quarter. So yeah. in, in taking all that into consideration, I think it was an outstanding job done by Jeff Tedford. Not only are, are the Bulldogs a, a very tough um, offensive team, but defensively, they're one of the best in the country. And the fact that uh, I think, in my opinion, their defense is um, that uh, just a little bit better compared to Utah State's offense um, in, in when comparing the the strengths of each team. So I went with Jeff, Jeff Tedford just narrowly over Matt Wells in what I think is the toughest uh, um, coach of the year decision that I've had to make so far in our year interviews, Chappie. Yeah, no, that's a great pick. Um, and, and I think that he continually, Tedford, gets overlooked. And I was really surprised that he was not – a, a hotter candidate for some of the openings this off season. And I know he's getting yeah. up there in age a little bit and maybe, you know, I haven't looked too, too closely at, at some of the things that he said. I don't know if he's um, kind of shutting any uh, possibilities down. If he just says, no, this is where I want to end my career. I'm a California guy. Mm-hmm. I want to stay out on the West coast and I, I've got a good thing going here at Fresno. Um, no, I think that's a great pick. And I, I, I love your rationale there. I'm going to go a little bit of a stretch here um, beyond what your analytics would suggest. And I typically, when I look at coach of the year, I'm looking at coaches who brought teams back that maybe weren't expected Mm -hmm. to do a lot. So you'll see kind of a mirror in my surprise team and my coach of the year. So I went with Jay Norvell from Nevada. Now here's a guy who comes from some pretty good pedigree. He played for Hayden Fry at Iowa. He also played one year in the NFL for the Chicago Bears under Mike Ditka. He's coached with Barry Alvarez, uh, the aforementioned Hayden Fry, and then um, Bob Stoops at Oklahoma as well. So he's been around some good coaches, and I think that that really has helped him this year. So they were picked, like I said, to finish fourth in the Mountain West Western Division. They ended up finishing second and... um, you know, they, their wins this year, they did beat a Pac-12 team. They were 1-1 one one versus the Power 5. Um, and they won their bowl game over a pretty formidable opponent in Arkansas State. Uh, he's got two really good coordinators, Matt Mummy on the offensive side and Jeff Castile, his defensive coordinator. So I think that Nevada is a team that you can look forward to into 2019 and even 2020 um, as a team that's really on the rise. And I look at Nevada and what Norvell did is – uh, he doesn't necessarily have the the wealth of resources that uh, certainly that Fresno has and Jeff Tedford, you know, being out in the state of California um, and even to an extent Utah State. I think that, you know, there's some pretty good talent that comes in and around the Utah area. You can tap into uh, you mm-hmm. know, Northern California, Washington, Colorado, those surrounding areas. But Nevada kind of seems to be in the middle there. And so that's where, you know, I look at um, – I look at someone like Norvell, and and he gets the nod for me this year, going eight and four, and and doing what he did, and and like I said, really coming uh, close to nine and four um, in his record. And if he had just beaten the Rebels for that Fremont Cannon, that thing would have been uh, even better out there in Reno. So, yeah, he was one of my one of my more favorite hires when he was hired into Nevada. Um, always liked him as as a, a coordinator throughout his years. Yeah, very good pick. And, you know, if they can keep them, which I don't think that they can, if, you know, if they if they match their eight or nine wins this year or even more, then he's certainly going to be vaulting himself to one of those power five openings. And um, I think that maybe mm-hmm. the Wolfpack fans there are kind of used to that. Uh, and, and a lot of these schools out in the Mountain West anyway. So, right. Um, well, let's get to some of the, the top games this year, BIP. So, uh, some entertaining games, some close ones, some nail biters. What was one that jumped out to you uh, as an entertaining matchup? I'm going to start uh, and and go with the pinnacle of the season and go with uh, the Mountain West Championship game. Yep. 
pitted uh, Fresno State and Boise State, and both teams traded touchdowns in the first quarter. Fresno State then kicked field goals in the second and third quarters while shutting out the Broncos. Uh, Boise uh, then uh, scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter on a 34-yard Alexander Madison run, but the point after try was actually blocked by Fresno State, leaving the game tied at 13, and this was a score going into overtime. Fresno or Boise started off uh, the first series, kicked a field goal, and then Fresno State answered um, with a Ronnie Rivers touchdown run from the one yard line to seal the victory for the Bulldogs and vaulting them to Mount West champs. It was an entertaining game, Chappie. It was a snow game yep. that you and I both love to watch. Yep. Um, so it had it had uh, something to enjoy from from all uh, all sides of it um really enjoyable i liked it yeah so two ranked teams and you know boise lost despite a 200 yard rushing effort from alexander madison um and right. then that 134 yard muscle touchdown that he got um only to have the extra point blocked. So, yeah, that was my number mm-hmm. one game, most entertaining. I, I enjoyed watching that one. Another one which was pretty good was uh, out at Fort Collins, Colorado, the Utah State Aggies, who were ranked 23rd at the time against Colorado State. So Utah State had uh, a lead margin throughout the game of 3-10-3-0, Then they were down one, and then they ended up winning by five. So they, they pulled it off with a final of 29-24. But here's how it happened. Um, Utah State scored on a 33-yard touchdown pass to Aaron Vaughns with just 43 seconds left when there was uh, blown coverage on that play. Um, and this was, of course, after Colorado State went up to um, to take a, a, their first lead of the game on a pass to our star from earlier, Preston Williams. And mm-hmm. uh, he actually had two touchdowns in the game. And then driving down at the end with uh, really less than 30 seconds left, Colin Hill hit Preston Williams in a 34-yard touchdown pass for the apparent game winner with zero seconds on the clock. And they had started celebrating. They were high-fiving. And and unfortunately, there was nobody in the stands for the Ram fans that day. But um, (laughs) it was called back because he stepped out of bounds. And according to the rule, if you're the first one to go out without being uh, impeded, you that would be illegal touching. So they had to wipe it off, take it off the board. And so what seemed like uh, a thrilling Hail Mary uh, pass at the end that Williams snagged was all for naught, and Utah State escaped out of there with a victory to to stay in their march to the Mountain West uh, title game, which was shot down later on. But um, and Utah State, even more remarkable, is you know they scored twenty nine points, but only got one offensive touchdown. They had two defensive touchdowns in that game, and then um, some field goals as well. So that game winning touchdown to Vaughn's was really their first offensive score of the game. So that was my uh, really my number two game after the Mountain West game. Uh, Bip, did you have another one for us? Yeah, um, real quickly, I'll I'll add in uh, one of the high points for San Jose State this year, a uh, game between them and, and Hawaii. And this is a game that San Jose State looked like they could have pulled off a, a decent upset against Hawaii, their, yeah. their conference foe, as they were winning throughout the first half and even had the, the lead going into the fourth quarter um, until Hawaii tied it up at 24. They traded touchdowns, and at the end of regulation, it was tied at 31-31. Game went into five overtimes, uh, but ended up with Hawaii up or winning 44-41 and uh, d- um, providing a crushing loss to the San Jose State Spartans. And unfortunately, their season didn't get uh, much better towards the end of the year. But um, this was one of those ones that really um, provided a, a, a another huge moral boost to Hawaii as that vaulted them to five and one, they would then go to six and one um, before coming back down to earth a little bit, but uh, definitely some fireworks in this one and a nice back and forth um, in that fourth quarter leading into the five overtimes. Yeah. uh, Speaking of explosions, my last game that I want to hit on is the battle for the Fremont cannon between Nevada and UNLV, which UNLV won 34 29 at home. So what was interesting here is Nevada went up 23-0 early in the second quarter en route to what looked like their ninth win of the year. Then uh, UNLV quarterback Armani Rogers stepped up and brought the Rebels back with a five-touchdown performance. So he was 13 for 20 for 172 yards, three touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, no interceptions thrown. And it wasn't what UNLV, 
UNLV did as much as what it was that Nevada did wrong. So Ty Ganji, who had a pretty good season at quarterback for the Wolfpack this year, threw three interceptions. And after UNLV's first touchdown, Nevada had then their their drive chart looked like this. Interception, punt, punt, field goal, half. Then in the second half, turnover on downs, punt, punt, field goal, interception, interception, end of the game. So really a flip-flop in fortunes for for Nevada there to to go on and lose their rivalry game to their uh their crosstown foes in Las Vegas by a score of 34-29. So um yeah, and a and a game that seemed like Nevada was just in quicksand because once you get behind after blowing that huge lead, then you're down in morale. You can't seem to 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 do anything right. You're turning the ball over, you're not moving the ball. Morale continues to be low, potentially even getting lower. And uh, just all in all, uh, a bad mood amongst the uh, Nevada sideline throughout the rest of that uh, second half of the game. Yeah, unfortunately, they won their bowl game, but that's still a sour taste in your mouth if you're a Wolfpack fan and a right. Wolfpack player because that's the one game that you really circle all year. Um, uh-huh. So we'll see what happens. And it's not here. like UNLV was a, a huge test for them. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so even worse, you know. Right. So where does the Mountain West Conference rank out of the 11 uh, spots, of course, including the Independence BIP? Where do you put Mountain West at? I have them at seventh, just behind the AAC. We kind of touched yep, upon this last too. week, but the the top of this conference is really better than any of the other uh, group of five conferences, in my opinion. You got Utah State, Boise State, Fresno State, and a lot of those teams could uh, challenge for maybe a top three spot in some of the power fives with how well they played this year and how good they are both offensively and defensively. The middle of the conference, um, and and especially the bottom of the conference, though, isn't really much to speak about. The teams in the middle of the conference, um, you know, did a really good job of improving this year. They arguably overachieved you know, the teams like Nevada and Hawaii, but the bottom of the conference is where they really fall flat. The bottom four teams all had scoring margins of one uh, negative one hundred two or worse, and all four of those teams finished in the bottom twenty of the country in both yards per game and points per game given up defensively. So because of the lack of strength in the middle to the bottom of the conference, Chappie, they fall just behind the AAC, but that top of the conference keeps them vaulted um, above the rest of the Power Five for me. Yeah, uh, and I agree. This this is really, really close. Probably the two closest conferences out of any of the 11 that we looked at, including the Power Five. Um, just to play devil's advocate, here's some stats to throw at you, Bip. Mountain West Conference is eight and six against the AAC over the last four years, but they were three and zero against the uh, American teams this uh, this okay. last season. But two of those came over, two of those three victories came over Navy, who only won three games this year, right. and then the other one was over UConn, who doesn't play defense. So uh, take that <laughs> with some grains of salt with your margarita. Okay. <laughs> um, Mountain West Conference did have three top twenty-five teams. They were eighteenth, twenty-second, twenty-third, whereas the AAC only had two. But you can make the argument that while well, the AAC had number seven UCF at the season's mm-hmm. end. Uh, Mount West right. Conference had six of their 12 teams make it to a bowl, so, so which was 50%. The AAC also had 50%. They had seven of their 14 teams make it to a bowl game. The AAC was 76 and 70 overall with two teams that had nine plus wins. Three had uh, eight, but the bottom half of the AAC only won a total of 22 games. Comparing the Mountain West, Mountain West was 78 and 74, so two more victories. Three teams had 10 wins or more as opposed to just two with nine or more in the AAC. And they also had two more teams who had eight wins and their bottom half won a total of 23 games. So just one more than the AAC bottom half. So again, if you took the bottom seven from the American Athletic and the bottom six from the Mountain West, um, the bottom for the MWC had one more win. So again, you see how hair thin those numbers were. Um, But my question to you is, and this is what really made me pick the AAC as number six overall, if you take the top four, UCF, um, uh, Cincinnati, Memphis, and Temple for the American Athletic Conference against the top four for the Mountain West, Fresno State, Utah State, Boise, and Nevada, who would you pick? If if you could take one of those two fields, Bip, who would you take as the the overall winner um, out of all those eight teams? I think I take the Mountain West, but I think um, the question is is slightly flawed because I don't think that I could exclude the fact that Houston is number five and USF is number six. Whereas looking at the Mountain West, you would say that the number five um, would be Hawaii and the number six would be San Diego State. Right. I, I like I like the top six of the AAC sure. over the top 
six of the Mountain West. Right. But I, in your question, I definitely like the Mountain West top four over the top four of the AAC. Really? And see, I, I, I kind of went the other way. So those statistics I threw out at you, I like the Mountain West, mm-hmm. but I, I feel more comfortable in taking the top four uh, from the AAC. And, and certainly to your argument, if you took the top six, so extending beyond those top four from the Mountain mm-hmm. West, that's definitely where the AAC is is a lot more powerful um, because you know, Houston, right. when they were on their game this year and, um, and USF certainly to me strike more confidence in me than Hawaii or, um, uh, help me with the other one bit that you mentioned. Uh, Oh, uh, San Diego, San State. Diego state. Yes. Thank you. So, yeah. um, now, now the, the AAC does have the Trump card or the, I'm sorry, the Mountain West does have the Trump card of saying that they don't have UConn in their conference, but <laughs> right, right. Well, I'll, I'll still go with the AAC in this in this regard. Well, uh, can you imagine a an exhibition game between UConn and San Jose State? I mean, we might be in uh, <laughs> we might be in uh, sixteen overtimes just because <laughs> defenses yeah, are like, an, uh, oh, we're out on the field now. <laughs> what an exercise of futility in that one. Does the loser get Brian Van Gorder as their head coach? <laughs> <laughs> yep, he's got to run the whole program, and you've got to have him for five years, <laughs> right. guaranteed money. Um, so some, some funny, uh, quick mountain West thoughts to snack on as we leave here, Bip, um, they've got some of the more interesting trophy names. Uh, I'm not making this up. They play, some teams play for the milk can, the old oil can, the golden (laughs) screwdriver, which kind of sounds dirty. Um, and my favorite, the, yes, I'm not mispronouncing this, the cooter trophy between air force and Hawaii. Now, um, I'm not being disrespectful. It's named after an old, uh, military veteran. Um, but, uh, still to say that you're playing for the cooter trophy. Thank God that somebody's already designed that because that could get really ugly if you, (laughs) if you took it the wrong way. Right. So, uh, so that uh, maybe we should uh, have a, a watch party for that this year. Bip, uh, come over to my place and we'll watch the game for the Cooter Trophy. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. All right. Well, we're going to end on a high note there. So, uh, you, if you want to look for us on other mediums, we are found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Overcast, and Radio Public. So the lift has come to a stop and it's time to get off. Head back into the lodge and call it a day, but we sure as hell hope you come back and give us some more of your time. We promise we'll give you information, useful insight, and college entertainment. Week zero kickoff, Bip, is just 22 weeks to go when the Mountain West's own Hawaii Warriors will kick things off against the Pac-12's Arizona Wildcats out in the land of the Lays. Hmm, That sounds appealing, doesn't it, Bip? Sure does. <laughs> we strongly hope you continue to listen, but more importantly, spread the word and help us be heard. So listen to what your mother always told you and share and interact with us on Twitter. You can be as complimentary or critical as you want. Remember that we're both married, so criticism uh, and an, an indictment of faults is nothing new to us. Thanks for tuning into a bowl full of chips. One more time, I am Chappie. And I am Bip. Where we remind you that you can either get a little or you can have a bowl. Bye-bye, everybody. Aloha.